Welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm really glad you're here today. So some housekeeping to start before I continue with my conversation with Locke Kelly. As I've been mentioning in the previous episodes recently, I'm going to be introducing a few small changes in the structure of the podcast, and I just want you to know that in about two weeks, rather than releasing the conversations that I have in a series of smaller episodes, I'll be releasing the interview that I do in one long-form episode. So that will be about an hour plus or take, plus or minus a little bit. But then two weeks after the long-form interview, I will also offer a shorter solo cast reflection episode where I talk about some of the takeaways I got from my guest's conversation and how those takeaways might apply to your own practice. As always, it is my hope that these conversations and reflections provide a direct support to your practice and teaching of yin yoga and meditation. And as I've also been letting many of you know, uh, for your immediate support, uh, if you're still in lockdown or in uh, shelter-in-place isolation, to help you process and hold this experience and hopefully maybe help you continue to learn while you're in uh, isolation, We've, Terry and I have made the Sublime Quartet our online courses for yin yoga, yin meditation, TCM, and yang yoga. We made those available as a uh, sort of a save bundle, where if you buy all four of them together, you can get them all at $149, which is a steep discount from their listed price at $500 together. Um, and many of you have asked about the nature of these courses. The basic idea is that these online courses are the in-depth preparatory courses that students take prior to attending our live modules. They cover, as I said, the functional elements of yin yoga, yin meditation, traditional Chinese medicine, and yang yoga. There's some practice involved, but it's a lot of theory to get you oriented towards the direct experience of the practice. And there's a link for you for this offer in the show notes. So check it out at the Sublime Quartet. But as I've been trying to also signal, uh, please hear me clearly on this message. We, Terry and I, neither one of us want finances to be a limiting factor for your access. If you are in financial distress, as we are and as many of you are, and if you're unable to afford the fee for these courses, simply send us an email requesting access. We'll be more than happy to extend these courses to you free of charge. This offer from us is really inspired by the concept of dana that you see in Buddhism. Dana is the Pali word for generosity really means the generosity of heart. And it's a practice of offering and receiving generosity from teachers to students and students to teachers, thereby sort of cementing the heart principle of symbiotic support between us. And I aspire to make my teaching as available as possible, regardless of financial means. And at various points in my own journey, I have been the recipient of countless offerings of dana, which have supported my access to practices and teachings exactly the times when my pockets were empty. So if you are in need and would like access to the Sublime Quartet, just drop us an email at info at yinyogaschool.com and it will be our pleasure to extend you free access to those courses and study materials. Okay, now for today's guest, Locke Kelly. Uh, Locke is a direct path meditation teacher. He teaches a meditation system that really emphasizes awareness of awareness. 
And in this episode, Locke and I continue to explore the direct experience of shifting out of your small, thought-based identity into your already available awareness-based being. We discuss the process of growing up and contrast that to the process of waking up. And we also discuss some of the phenomenology of what occurs when you start to get a glimpse of your true nature. And without further ado, I once again bring you Locke Kelly. I heard myself say recently in a training to a group of yogis that, that nobody really gets to the age of 20 without having some degree mm-hmm. of trauma in their mm-hmm. present in their life. Um, but there is a kind of assumption that with the realization of the awakened mind or the awakened true self, that psychological issues, neuroses, pathological problems, reactive issues, that all of that stuff will kind of evaporate in this mm-hmm. miraculous um, <laughs> evaporation uh, post-awakening. And, you know, I've not that I'm claiming any great awakening myself, but uh, that's certainly not been the case for me. And right. I'm guessing it's not the case for what you've seen in, in the work with your students or yourself. Right. Um, so I, I kind of want to talk about, if you can, the, the relationship between awakening and the development or growing up of the, the, the egoic self that we sure. wake up out of and how, how that kind of plays in your in your model. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel that perhaps that's, one of the most dangerous misunderstandings um, that's out there is somehow, you know, which is called the spiritual bypass, which is that awakening will um, transcend or heal immediately by awakening all your human trauma, suffering, and neurosis. And that is why we see so many, I think one of the reasons we see so many uh, teachers or yogis acting out sexually with money, drugs, power, abuse, because they there is a stage of awakening, which is usually the initial awakening, where you wake up from the small sense of self. You wake up from the ego and into a choiceless awareness or a big sky mind or and awareness-based. And then at that stage, you feel like, oh, I'm, everything's okay. I'm kind of beyond good and evil. And, but then you can like be dissociated or depersonalized at that stage and kind of find what I feel like is a lot of the people who have actually treated some of these people who have acted out um, as a psychotherapist. Um, they go into like an adolescent level development where they kind of stopped and they start acting out as if they're a teenager who can do anything they want. And they don't haven't dropped into their body and they haven't dropped into their heart, into their heart mind, which when you do that, you can see the um, that other people are the same as you and how would you possibly treat them in a way that's abusive or manipulative, and then they don't aren't willing to work with the parts of themselves that were disowned or traumatized or shadow parts. So, so this is a big part of what I call waking up, 
and then waking to the awake awareness and then waking in to the body and then waking out from open-hearted awareness to uh, living, you know, living uh, an awakened life. So the waking in uh, includes, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, union of awakened consciousness and therapy, uh, which um, I, I've co-taught with this guy, Dick Schwartz, who's created internal family systems. So I had a very similar system, uh, but he has a very more precise view of the parts of ourselves that, and how they work. And I have, so he would teach that part, and then I would teach more about how to access self directly, self with a big S, no self, self, that can be with this part, these parts that is more of a loving um, ability to be, uh, it has the capacity to be with these uh, parts that were bigger than the ego. Yeah. And to loop back to what some of the things you yeah. said earlier, I think my sense of that, that big, big awareness that can, both transcend and include mm-hmm. the the egoic sense of self. The reason why it seems to me that that, that shift is so valuable in working with egoic issues, mm-hmm. is, is, to parrot par- your words back, is that the, the, that larger sense of self is not as defended, it's not as protective, right. it, is not the, it doesn't per- feel or experience the shame of the egoic mm-hmm. level. And... Right. Um, and I think you used the phrase at one point that the, the, your your egoic self that you wake up out of it doesn't disappear, but right. it, it just starts goes starts to go through a phase of detoxification from yeah. from the awakened mind. Yeah. So in some ways, so the 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 you know simple model would be that um, you know there there isn't really just one ego. So there is there isn't really a self, and from neuroscience. You know, you could say uh, the brain is a symphony, but no conductor can be found. Mm-hmm. There isn't one you. There's like a seat of or a pattern that rotates through, you know, different aspects. When you go to work, it's a different part of yourself. When you go when you're with your friends, there's a different part. Um, it's not one ego, um, but it's that we have no one self. Um, no one small ego, uh, but we have many parts of us that is like our hands and our eyes and our like parts of our body. We have these parts of our personality and that we can shift out of this one of those small self centers to this more spacious, loving, pervasive um, dimension of awareness based uh self that is open-hearted and has a capacity both to be with our traumatized part and to kind of respond and make choices um, about, you know, what to do without having to have one of the polarized parts say, you know, don't do that. Yes, do that. Don't do that. Yes, do that. And then this, so that becomes one of the first simple shifts that we see with people with complex traumas. They have these polarized parts that are trying to protect the trauma and shut down. And once we ask them, are you aware of this part, 
that's really hurt? Yes. Are you aware of the part that's trying to tell you not to be hurt? Yes. Well, who's aware of those two parts? And they'll say, well, me. Well, where are you located? Well, everywhere and here. And how do you feel toward those parts? And eventually they'll say, well, I feel compassion. Hmm. You know, so then there begins this embodiment phase, which is, I think, is part of the full range of uh, direct realization. But then there's gradual unfolding um, into a fully awakened daily um, life that includes healing, not as much, you know, as if you have to heal everything before you get awakened, but it's almost, you know, I would say you have to, you know, grow up to a certain level and then you can't grow up any further unless you wake up. Mm -hmm. But then once you initially wake up, please continue to grow up you know, yeah, because yeah. And, and wake in and wake down and wake out from that, uh, you know, because then you actually have the capacity that you actually can't grow up and you can't do the psychological work unless you wake up. Yeah. You know, I, as a meditator, and I'm not a psychologist, but as a meditator, um, having worked in a directed practice for a long time, I found dealing with psychological issues in the yep. meditation to feeling a bit like being in a tempest in a teapot. Mm -hmm. It was kind of claustrophobic, overwhelming, right. flooding. I get would go numb at times. Um, it, I didn't really have this experience of meditation until I did two things. One, I took psychedelics, and two, uh -huh. second, I read your sure. book. And, yep. and in both, a very There's similar relationship. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> and I felt like for the first time I could actually... I was there. I was mm -hmm. fully there, and but completely undefended against some of the most embarrassing, shameful things I, yes. I've done. Um, so it seems to me that this is a, a very compassionate approach versus right. and 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 and, ha and mitigates a lot of the psychological dissociation or tension contention that might occur with a more um, sort of thought-based approach or, or not thought-based, but uh, a directed. I'm going to practice mindfulness as the meditator kind that's of right. can approach. Yeah, and that's a beautiful, that's like, again, the perfect metaphor is if you stay within the mindful, embodied view of everyday mind and subtle body and subtle mind, it's a tempest in a teapot. Mm -hmm. So in other words, working from your ego, from a mindful meditator even, uh, and your body as as the limited battery and form, all of that energy has to stay within that small space. And so opening, literally, that's one of the key first dimensional feelings is as if you have an open mind and open heart, but literally, like the tempest in the big sky. Mm -hmm. So a tempest in a big sky is like a really big sky is like the sky is never hurt by the tempest. Yeah, it's like an ant crawling across a big wall. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> just doesn't 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 register the same way. Yeah. Well, and, and related to this 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 topic, um, there is more attention given now to what is referred to as the dark night of the soul in spiritual yeah. path. Um, in Buddhism, this at least in Theravada, Burmese Buddhism, this shows up in a progressive model 
where there's stages of insight known as the stages of, I know you know these, but the stages yep. of knowledge of suffering and they're very mm-hmm. excruciating, painful yep. stages. Um, and, and Willoughby Britton at Brown has been doing, doing yep. a lot of research on that. Is your experience though in teaching the way you're <clears throat> teaching as a teacher, do you find your students are, are even entering into this dark night phase at all? Or is it kind of mitigated exclu- implicitly by the, this open, open, undefended space that they access that doesn't trigger that tempest in a teapot struggle of the dark night? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons that I kind of modified certain of these wisdom traditions, the Mahamudra, Dzogchen, uh, also the, um, <clears throat> you know, the Chinese um, and other, you know, wisdom traditions uh, to introduce, and it's it's the reason to introduce the solution before you introduce the problem. So in other words, let's introduce what can bear what seems unbearable, then we can deal with what's unbearable. Right. In other words, dark night of the soul proceeds from an ego going down into Dante's Inferno as a small self. What this is saying is, okay, let's Let's open to that sky and then start to include everything and welcome it. But keep, you know, and as soon as you feel yourself contracted, just open back up again. And that's the first practice. And then include. But don't space out. But don't, you know, space in. Don't, don't collapse in and don't, you know, stay detached. But, um, you know, transcend and include. Transcend and include. And that... Um, I have found, I haven't found anybody that's had those experiences in my retreats that will will be Britain. You know, we watch, people have what I call shake and bake, and they have, which is like, you know, stuff comes up and they're crying or they're, but they're, you know, somebody will usually go and talk to them or will, you know, work with them, but they, they don't hold, they don't get flooded by the unconscious because they've been introduced before we get into that to what can't be flooded. Um, And if I can just give my own experience of that, um, I was on a retreat last December and towards the end, um, I had a very quiet retreat for the most of the time practicing with some of the the tools that you give. And uh, on the second to last day, I started having memories of a kind of psychological trauma from my childhood related to my dad. And I hadn't thought of these things in in decades. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a sense, like, tears started to flow. Mm -hmm. And I think if someone had looked at me, they would have probably thought I was in a state of anguish or pain. But what was truly hard to pin like hard to articulate was i had no pain internally right it was just literally right. it felt like a like a vapor mm-hmm. exiting me and no it was just very clear light easy and mm-hmm. and these things just washed out in a way yes yeah so it's it's more of a um rather than a dark night of the soul which is like dante's inferno where you you know kind of go through what's called um you know, renunciation and then kind of transformation by going, you go through realization and then detox. So there's still a detox or what's called traditionally in Tibetan Buddhism, self-liberation, but it's where the 
energy, both energetically and through dialogue with these parts, there's an unburdening of them, um, both, you know, pre-verbal and young parts and protective parts are particularly important because those are the ones that have been thinking they're supposed to be you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, well, look, I'm not letting you, <laughs> you know, remember that, you know, like, you know, like, well, what if there were this capacity to remember and heal it? You know, would you be open to checking that out? And the, you know, those protective parts that have kind of shut our energy down and made us maybe good workers, but but also less emotional, intimate beings can relax and then those memories or those energies can come up and then, you know, there can be crying or shaking or uh, releasing or talking to other people or to the parts. And then there's a unburdening, literally like put taking armor off um, and uh, bringing that child to a loving being, which is you. You know, the saying is, you're the one you've been looking for. So when you access first this true nature or true self, then those parts that feel lonely and alienated and traumatized and felt, you know, abused can come to this being that you are as an adult and and even beyond adult and get the love they've been looking for. Hey, I'll pause the conversation there for today. And perhaps over the coming weeks, you can explore in your own meditation what it's like to sense awareness from awareness itself. In other words, rather than focusing your attention on the content of your experience, turn your awareness back in on itself to experience the open space of presence that holds your entire world of moment-to-moment experience. For more on this and more on Locke Kelly's teachings, please check out his website, www.lockkelly.org, and also pick up yourself a copy of his wonderful book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. I've, I've personally found this practice incredibly enriching and helpful. Links for both of those resources are in the show notes. And until next time, I wish you a safe refuge in place. Thanks so much for your attention today, and I'll see you in the next episode.